Colectivo Raíces presenta su programa Espejos de Aztlán Información, Arte, Cultura Bienvenidos Bienvenidos a su programa Espejos de Aztlán. Hoy estamos con los editores del libro Querencia, publicado por la editorial de la Universidad de New Mexico y es una profunda y arraigada reflexión sobre pertenencias e identidades. Today on Espejos de Aztlán, we are with Dr. Vanessa Fonseca Chávez, inaugural poet laureate of New Mexico, Levi Romero, el primer poeta aclamado de Nuevo México, and Dr. Spencer Herrera. They are the editors of this new book, Querencia, Reflections on the New Mexico Homeland, published by University of New Mexico Press. Bienvenidos a nuestro programa. Welcome to our show. Buenas tardes, les de Dios. Me encanta su saludo, eh, Levi Romero. Lo puedo llamar Levi, ¿verdad? Porque escuché sí. que dicen Levi en otros lados. First time I heard this word, querencia, in Spanish, was when I read this book by uh, Martín Fierro, by Hernández, on which there is a gaucho in the Argentinian Pampas looking and trying to return home. That home was his querencia. And there are lots of stories around this, uh, this time when he tries to go home, which is, in his case, is this little rancho in the middle of the Las Pampas and um, with a lot of nostalgia, with a lot of longing from that, of that place. When I read this title, I know it's also the title of a series, and um, I thought I want, I need to read this book. And um, so what is querencia? And uh, which also, I was trying to translate it. I don't know still to translate it to English. I don't find a right word for that. So what is querencia and what did it inspire to you to uh, write Gracias. this book, to bring all these authors as well and these reflections in this book? Well, querencia, the word that I grew up with and hearing my entire life, is the place where you're born and it's the place where you're raised. Um, en los tiempos de antes, la mayor parte de la gente nacían en sus hogares y ahí vivían y ahí murían y ahí los enterraban. Y entonces comenzamos con ese entendimiento de lo que es querencia, ¿no? The place that nurtures you, where you belong, where you feel safe, the place that is your home. And so we began with that basic, simple understanding and definition of querencia in its simplest terms. And we wanted to really expand on that and broaden it. And so we opened up the conversations to 18 other scholars with their essays, including uh, Vanessa's and Spencer's own perspectives on what querencia is to them, which may differ uh, from what querencia is to me. So beginning with that definition, we kind of took off from there. 
You know, I remember hearing the word querencia when I was a graduate student at the University of New Mexico. Enrique La Madrid had done a project with his students, and there was uh, in um, in Ortega Hall, where the Spanish program was located, there was this big poster on the wall, and it said querencia, and a whole bunch of students had had given some reflections on what that meant. And at the time, it didn't mean much to me because I think that I wasn't really sure what my place was, and so. You know, in contrast to Levi, I, you know, grew up in lots of places throughout New Mexico, and it was very difficult for me to figure out what was my home, you know, after moving more than 30 times in my life, sometimes back and forth to the same places, but almost always within New Mexico, it was very unclear to me even coming to the university and feeling a sense of, of rootedness or connectedness to other people. And I think in a very sort of prototypical Chicano way, it took a trip to Mexico with students for me to realize what my querencia was and who my, who my people were. And so I met this, um, I met people from Northern New Mexico. I met a Chicana activist from Albuquerque. I met uh, folks from Southern New Mexico and we all took a trip together along the Camino Real. Um, and we went from New Mexico down to Zacatecas and back. And it was then that I realized, you know, these are the people that know what it's like to be from New Mexico. And so that feeling of growing up, um, you know, farming and growing up in a rural area really started to become more real and connected to me when I was finishing my undergraduate studies at UNM. And so, you know, that sense of place was even, was shaped even more by the time I spent in graduate school at UNM. And then over time, as I became more connected to New Mexico scholarship. And in your case, Dr. Spencer Herrera, what is Querencia for you? You also moved a lot. Is it this related with moving or you have to be in a special place to have this feeling? You know, those are great questions. Um, unlike Vanessa and Levi, I'm not from Nuevo Mexico. In the, in the book, in my chapter, I clearly explain that I'm Tejano, I'm from Texas. And so when I moved here, you know, there were a lot of differences I could notice, you know, already um, from Houston, where I'm from, and Albuquerque, where I had moved to, and now I live in Las Cruces. And um, one of the dif differences is that a lot of the Hispanos in New Mexico still own land. You know, they still farm the land, they still raise animals. And that's not true in many parts of Texas. In some parts, yes, but not in many parts. As I mentioned the other day in our inaugural uh, presentation for this book, is that most Hispanos or most Tejanos, we lost our land a long time ago. You know, we lost our land through Texas independence. We lost land uh, during the U.S.-Mexico War. And we lost land for generations and decades after that through violent acts committed by the Texas Rangers and also duplicitous legal actions against Hispano landowners. And so for many Tejanos, although we have an affection for the land, that land no longer pertains to us. Um, so I remember a long time ago as a kid, we were in um, central Texas and it's, it's the hill country and it's very beautiful. And my grandmother, we were looking at this beautiful piece of land. It was a lookout, you know, one of those um, where you can park and look out and see how beautiful the land is. And she said, you know, esto era de nosotros. But she didn't mean it legally. I knew that land did not belong to my family. But what she meant was, as Mexicanos, que esa tierra era de nosotros. And uh, there was a click there for me at a young moment, you know, a young part of my life 
that I knew what she was talking about without asking her. And so querencia is that, that love, sometimes for a place that you belong to, but you no longer have any legal claim to. You just feel a connection to that place. In your book, there are several layers, if I can use that word, for uh, these reflections. And I, I wanted to say these arraigadas reflections. This is our rooted reflections that you're bringing in this book. But uh, usually the first thing we think is that querencia, uh, this love for a place of the home, is, is deeply related with land. And uh, you opened in this book the concept, the idea, the feeling to many other um, aspects. Uh, what other things are linked with this love for home? Uh, sometimes it looked to me uh, through your books, through your chapters, that is, there is a longing of belonging. And um, what other layers or aspects are on this issue, especially in New Mexico? Because there is something very unique to this beautiful and complex land that we are living in. What other aspects are related with this feeling of home, feeling of belonging? I think food certainly has to be one of those things. And I've seen on social media so many Facebook groups and other types of groups that talk about New Mexican food and looking for recipes and being able to share some of those recipes in an online forum, which are also accompanied by people's stories of their grandmothers or their mothers or, you know, who makes the best tortillas? How do we, you know, how do we change the recipes over time? I will say that when I first moved back to Arizona in 2016, there was a Hatch Green Chili Festival near my work. And I think the emotions that come with seeing New Mexico somewhere else is very, um, it's very heartwarming. And I've already identified the 10 plus New Mexican restaurants that are in the Phoenix Valley. And so there's some, there's a connection that, you know, for many folks that if you can't physically be home, there are these other cultural markers of belonging that feel very palpable, um, even through the distance. Just going to add for, for, on, on behalf of Levi, because Levi, as you probably know, is, is a wonderful poet. And I've had the pleasure of taking classes with him as well. Um, and one of the things I love about his poetry is that he gets into the sounds, right? Um, the, the things that we hear around us. And um, so for me, sometimes it's, it's, it's our other, los otros sentidos, the sounds and the smells. So that got me thinking when this is talking about food and the smell, um, and so for me, the other day, we finally had a, a nice uh, thunderstorm here in southern New Mexico. And I love opening the windows or the doors because you, you can smell the rain, right? You can smell the, uh, the creosote. Uh, and you can't do that in other places. You, know, you can hear the rain. You know it's raining. But to smell the rain is something so beautiful here. Um, I just love that smell. And... Uh, that's to me, that's one of the smells of New Mexico. You know, when the coming of the monsoon is that temporal season is just so special here. Yeah. Are there any stories that we can share around our sense of querencia? Well, I think um, one of the stories is uh, based on a project that Vanessa and I have been working on for a few years. Uh, on the migration of the diaspora people from northern New Mexico to other parts of the Southwest. 
Um, my essay, uh, Following the Manito Trail, is the name of the project we've been working on, and it's really uh, focused on a community in Wyoming, uh, North Central Wyoming, Riverton, and, um, and following the migration of people from Northern New Mexico to that community, and the displacement, we talk about Cadencia as being a homeland where people are connected to the land, but in this case, it's a displacement um, due to economic factors and the search for employment, people left and wound up in places like Riverton, Wyoming. Um, and so we tend to look at that landscape as like, how do people transplant their cultura, their language, their spiritual perspectives, everything that they are as a people to another place and still exist as those people that they were where they're coming from. And of course, we see that in other migrant communities, I'm calling it migrant communities, but um, people who uh, migrate to another place and eventually they settle there and other people like themselves follow along or they're already and we talk about those Mexicano populations, for example, in the South Valley of Albuquerque and other parts of the Southwest, vienen de Chihuahua, de Mexico, de donde vengan. Y no pierden su cultura, they bring it with them and they transplant it. And so we look at the transplanting of Querencia in a place like Riverton, Wyoming, by the Manitos from northern New Mexico and the foods that they took with them. And we're not talking about tacos and enchiladas, you know, uh, papas, <laughs> uh, corned beef, potted meat, pork and beans, you know, uh, not the celebrated foods, but uh, minimal foods to eat, papas a huevo, you know, papas, comíamos papas con huevos en la mañana y, y, y huevos con papas a mediodía y en la tarde papas a huevo. So uh, it's really a celebration of perseverance and enduring and of carrying our credencias wherever we go. As Gloria Ansaldúa said, language is my home. And so we take our language with us, doesn't matter where we are, where we go, the language that we speak, we take with us. Whether Spencer is coming from Houston and he winds up in Albuquerque is the language that he grew up speaking. And maybe it's not something that is an external language, but an internal language in how he views the world and he, how he takes the world in and how he defines it and describes it and explains it to himself. And the same thing with Vanessa, having moved all those different times is how does that internal language go with you and follow you? and how does that help you endure the situations that are foreign and new to you? So that is another aspect of Querencia. today on Espejos de Aslan with the editors of this new book, Querencia, Reflections on the New Mexico Homeland, published by the University of New Mexico Press. And today's guests are Dr. Vanessa Fonseca Chavez, inaugural poet laureate of New Mexico, Levi Romero, el primer poeta aclamado de Nuevo México, and Dr. Spencer Herrera. And uh, today we are with these reflections uh, about uh, Querencia, this uh, old I would say it's an old Spanish word, word that is still in our hearts. And um, I would like to, 
talk with you in this mo at this moment. Um, how do you think your book can contribute to the lives of our listeners? Well, I think one of the things that we were really proud of with this collection is not only a um, a combination of personal essays, but also some you know scholarly academic essays, also and kind of looking at um, all throughout New Mexico, but that cadencia isn't always something pretty. And I think that's something that is um, really relevant within the collection. Um, there's a new generation of scholars that are writing um, within this collection, who of course have tremendous amount of respect for the writers and scholars that came before us and the community activists and all the ancestors that have come before us that have helped us to define our own sense of place and belonging. But now we're looking at it through our lenses, right? And so we're thinking about as a new generation, you know, what are the kind of contributions to New Mexico and these ideas of, of cadenza and belonging that will move us forward. And my chapter focuses largely on the Oñate statue. It's called the equestrian statue at the El Paso uh, International Airport. But the, the more recent conversations on, you know, what I titled as contested cadencia, right? So this idea that there are multiple groups in New Mexico who call New Mexico home, right? And we have We've had multiple conversations about the, the false nature of this tricultural harmonious myth in New Mexico. And we're really at a moment where we have to contend with what it means to really provide a space for everyone to look at their homeland in the ways that they want to look at it, right? And so I'm thinking about Myris Chino's essay, for example, which looks from an indigenous perspective at Cadencia, but he doesn't call it Cadencia, he calls it uh, beloved land. And the way he talks about uh, Acoma landscape, he links it to, um, of course, environmental atrocities brought on by the uranium boom in Grants, New Mexico, and those effect and the effects that it had on Acoma people. But then he also provides us a really nice uh, essay about the connections between Acoma Pueblo and other transnational indigenous communities by way of indigenous activism and also by way of similar geographies and architectures. And so it takes us in a whole different direction, but I think those conversations are ones that we sorely need within this larger conversation about what does it mean to call New Mexico home? There are many truths in this, uh, in this New Mexico and uh, you, Dr. Spencer Herrera, had this uh, a chapter about a critical chapter about uh, some propaganda uh, American United States propaganda about New Mexico and the true New Mexico what can you tell us about what's the truth about New Mexico great question you know there are so many truths um, just to quickly piggyback on Vanessa's comments um, one of the things that I really enjoy about this book is that we talk about Querencia as a land-based concept. But just to briefly mention another essay, Kelly Medina Lopez talks about storytelling as a form of Querencia. And I can't think of a better time than right now during this pandemic when we should be storytelling, right? We should be around the kitchen table telling stories instead of uh, staying busy on the internet or doing things that we do. And you know, that would allow us to get into these multiple truths, right? We're often, um, you know, we look at, you know, TV right now and what's going on in the world, and we realize that there are a lot of stories that are not being told. Uh, we have these sort of official stories in the textbooks, um, and we realize that there are a lot of stories 
And we should be learning those stories. We should be telling those stories. We should be listening to those stories. And so when we talk about New Mexico true versus New Mexico truth, I think that the images that the New Mexico true campaign, I think they're beautiful images, but the New Mexico truth campaign, which is a Catholic charity campaign says, you know, that's great. You know, uh, white sands is beautiful. Wheeler peak is really tall. We have gorgeous sunsets, but we need to look at the truth about New Mexico. And the truth is, unfortunately, we have a lot, we have a lot of poverty in the state. We have high childhood poverty. Uh, we have uh, we don't have we have one of the unfortunately worst public education systems in the country, and so that goes back to Vanessa's point that sometimes Gerencia is not always beautiful. But the only way that we can, you know, la cultura cura, the only way we can cure those illnesses, those ills, those social ills, is to openly point at them, to look at them, to examine them with an unflinching eye and realize what they are. Once we look at them and examine them and realize the multiple truths that exist, then we can begin to work on them, to address them, to make them better. Because um, we shouldn't be the worst state in the country for childhood poverty. Um, we love our children and we should want better for them and we should do better by them. And so that's kind of what I'm getting at, um, that we have so many beautiful places in the state, um, but let's also make our communities where these people live, let's also make them a little more beautiful. Um, let's, let's create places that are safe for them and uh, make this state um, a much better place to raise our families. Um, so that's kind of what I'm getting at in that chapter, and I think that we can accomplish that. Christina, to go back to uh, your question about locura, and uh, so this is what Rudolfo Anaya wrote about in, in his little section there on locura. Over the years, I have received letters from prisoners serving time. These men realize that la cultura cura, but where can they find the cultura they've lost? Where is their querencia, and how can they recover it? Mario, a young man from Los Angeles, has written a play and many stories. Can his writings become his querencia? Some pintos have come out of prison with excellent self-taught mastery in writing. Their stories are our querencia too. That's a beautiful chapter in the is in the in the introduction of your, of this book we are presenting today. Levi, uh, I would appreciate if you can share or a poem or a story to close this uh, segment of the show about this book, whatever you want to share with us, with our listeners, actually. We want to dedicate this interview and, and, and this program to Rudolfo and his generosity and his kindness and uh, him, you know, allowing us to um, have his foreword for this book that is really all about everybody's cadencia, not just our own. And uh, we realized that at some point when he was working on it, that it might be actually the last original piece of work that he might have published. So we were blessed to feel like that would make it into our book. But um, I'll just say something about, about uh, Rudolfo um, and Spencer uh, knew him too as well. I'm not sure if Vanessa, if, if you knew Rudolfo uh, or not, but uh, 
I I had met him, but I don't I don't know him the way you know him. Yeah. So, so um, it's I'll, I'll try to not make the story too long. But in northern New Mexico, we don't have time for a short story. <laughs> so he was receiving an he was receiving an award of recognition uh, at UNM in the sub ballroom, one of those big humongous ballrooms that they have at the sub. And I was on my way to the ceremony, and it was an evening ceremony. And I was as I was walking to the ceremony. I felt like I was already running late, so I was kind of really hurrying up. And uh, as I'm rushing to the ceremony, uh, I passed by this gentleman who was kind of limping, and he was slowly walking. And I looked at him, and it was sort of in, in La Tardecita, so it was sort of getting dark already, and I couldn't really identify who the person was, not that I was looking to identify him. But I looked at this older gentleman, and I said to myself, Mira, I've un señor. Quitado de penas, you know, he doesn't have to worry about anything. Not like me for almost having to worry about what I'm going to say and how I'm going to stand up in front of an audience. I wish I could be like that gentleman. And so I make my way over to the ceremony and I sit down. I'm way at the back. I'm going to sit at the back tonight because I don't have to say anything. They're here to listen to Rodolfo and I can enjoy something for once without having to say anything. And so I sat back there. It was filled with hundreds of people. Rudolfo gets up there and he starts talking. And then he notices me way, way in the back. And I'm sitting there in my chair and I'm shocked because the gentleman that I had passed on my way to the ceremony was Rudolfo. And of all people that had been standing up in front of audiences forever and the grandfather of Chicano literature was that gentleman who I thought, este señor no tiene que apenarse de nada. He doesn't have to worry about being in front of people. And it was Rodolfo, and he's up in the front of 300 people, and he looks at me way back there, and he says, Levi, because that's what he used to call me, Levi, ¿qué es locura? Help me explain locura to these people. (laughs) (laughs) He noticed everything, isn't it? And all 300 people in the audience turned around to look at me. And I didn't know what, I didn't have an explanation or a definition for locura because, you know, I was like, I was just uh, in a whole other world just to think that uh, this senor walking along never had to concern himself with such situations. Pero Rodolfo was amazing. He was nothing but uh, generous and kind and brilliant. He was a maestro and he was connected to the land that he was connected to his writing. That was his cadencia. That was his, as he said in his foreword, Apura Pala, how did you write all these books? Somebody asked him. And he said, Apura Pala. Like una sequia. Como una sequia. Como una sequia. Apura Pala. Uh, muchas gracias, eh, Vanessa Fonseca. Eh, muchas gracias, Spencer Herrera. Y especialmente, muchas gracias, Levi <ríe> Romero. Eh, por esta entrevista, pero especialmente muchas gracias por este trabajo eh, profundo y me imagino que les fui a pura pala también eh, para llevarlo adelante. Invitamos a nuestros oyentes, we invite our listeners to take a look to this book, Querencia, Reflections on the New Mexico Homeland, published by University of New Mexico Press. I think it's also available in bookworks in the local Albuquerque um, uh, store and, um, and also online, I guess, as well in the University of New Mexico Press. Muchas gracias a todos ustedes y le hacemos una y hacemos un gran recuerdo con todo el corazón a Rodolfo Anaya. Gracias. 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 Gracias a ustedes.